And God, even as we open up your word, we pray will become a light unto our path, a lamp unto our feet, that you will open it, our understanding to the truth of your word, and enlighten us so we too might be your light in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. Uh, good to see you. Thank you for joining us. And those that are online at True Worth, glad that you are here among us as well. I would invite you to find your Bibles and go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. If you need your Bible, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. They'll bring one to you. This is one of those mornings you're going to want to have the Scriptures in your hand. So if you don't have one, you'd like one, raise your hand. We're not going to call you out, uh, do anything. Nothing bad's going to happen to you. Just going to hand you the Scriptures. You may take it home with you. Uh, you may use it while you're here, lay it in the seat when you leave. Uh, we have a lot of work to do, so I'm just going to join right in online. And those are true worth. I trust you have your scriptures there and you're ready to join us. Two weeks ago, I introduced this idea called the intensifying dynamic. If you were here, hopefully you recall. And that is that at Christmas, there's something happens where our highs are higher and our lows are lower. Because of the emotions connected to Christmas and all the memories that we have, the good things seem to be even better and the painful things even seem to be more painful. So I, I tried to explain that to you best that I could here two weeks ago, and I had some folks email me and some folks stop me and say, you know what, Pastor, I can identify with that. I mean, Christmas is coming and we're more excited this year than ever before. I mean, there's a new member in our family. Uh, there's going to be somebody new at the table. Uh, the gift exchange is going to have a new flair. I mean, we're just so excited. We can't wait for Christmas to get here. I mean, we're already worshiping and celebrating, in fact. And those of you who sent me those kind of emails or you stopped me, I said, well, man, I'm happy. I'm rejoicing with you. I'm excited with you. Um, and there also was the other extreme. There's some folks that are saying, Pastor, this is going to be the toughest Christmas we've ever had. Um, this we're going to be hard. I, I don't know how we're going to get through it. And then you shared some of the things that are going on in your family and your household as, as Christmas is approaching. A uh, week and a half ago, a week and a day ago, I guess really was, Dallas and I were in Washington, D.C., finishing up a leg of her birthday trip, and we were in the Bible Museum, and everybody kind of scattered off on their own. And I find myself this part of the museum and there's this woman there just crying, just uncontrollably. She has her phone in her hand. She's bent over, just over the top ball, I mean, just uncontrollably. So I, I kind of waited for a second where I could kind of step in and said, uh, ma'am, uh, you need some assistance or are you okay? You know, could I? And she kind of finally got her composure and said that she just got news. Uh, her sister had breast cancer. And so, oh. And it's just devastating. And she's thinking, man, I was thinking, her Christmas, this is not going to be the same. Uh, this past week here, we got a notification here at the church of someone, a family who's been a part of this church for over 20 years. Um, a loved one, the gentleman, hit by an 18-wheeler, killed instantly, leaving behind a widow and two daughters. And uh, funeral's tomorrow. And I'm thinking, man, you know, their Christmas is going to be hard. You know, how are they going to get through it? And I tried to explain this to those, make it clear if you were here two weeks ago, that if this is you in any shape, form, or fashion, that God gets it, that God understands, that you know that, that God has unlimited understanding, 
that your God has unlimited empathy, that your God has unlimited love for you in your life, and that whatever you're going through, your God wants to help, and he can help, and he will help because he is faithful. And so as we were kind of understand this, we were looking at the person of Joseph, who out of nowhere, whoa, he gets this news, he and Mary are going to have this baby, and he goes, whoa, I didn't see that coming, wasn't expecting that, and he finds himself going through a very difficult time. And from Joseph, we learned that he had learned how to keep his head even when it was tough, because he kept his faith, and he kept his hand in God's hand. And I think Joseph really put on a clinic of how to be steady in a storm when life is hard and challenging. And he he taught us some very good truths about that. And then last weekend, Chris taught, man, just an excellent message of introducing John the Baptist to help us understand John the Baptist and his parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Interesting. Joseph and Mary, too young to be parents. Zechariah and Elizabeth, too old to be parents. And they they both have kids. And uh, God says, surprise, you weren't expecting that, were you? And some of you have been there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And, uh, but they didn't make it about themselves, we learned last weekend. It wasn't about the, oh, my gosh, we're so chosen, we're so special. No, it was about their son, John, and John made it about Jesus. And it was a reminder to each of us that Christmas is not our birthday. Sometimes we forget that, don't we? That it's not about us, Christmas. It's about Jesus, and it's about his birthday. Now, this morning, we're going to talk about Joseph, Mary's counterpart. We're going to learn a little bit more about, excuse me, about Mary, the counterpart of Joseph. And so we're in Luke chapter 1, and so we know that Mary is 14, 15, somewhere in there. We don't know exactly, and that Mary is a peasant. She's from a small little cow town somewhere over there in the Middle East. And in verse 28, her world is turned upside down. Because an angel says, shows up to her and says, Mary, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. It goes on in verse 31, you're going to conceive, you're going to give birth to a son, you're going to call him Jesus. In fact, he is going to be great. He's going to be the son of God himself. Now, we learn right, right down here in verse 29 that Mary was, says, was greatly troubled by what she heard. And I don't think it was so much because this kid she was going to have was the son of God, though that had to be kind of unnerving a little bit. You will see she was actually bothered about the mechanics, about how this was going to happen because she had been to biology 101, and so she knew how babies came about. And so she says right here in verse 34, how can this be? Uh, I'm still a virgin, God. I mean, how is this going to happen? I mean, sometimes people ask me, is it okay to question God? This little teenage girl gives us the answer. Because a little cautiously maybe, but very quickly she says, God, I just need to know, how is this going to happen? I don't understand what's going on here. I mean, Joseph and I, we've made this vow of sexual purity. We're going to wait till we're married. We're going to take this very seriously. And I can just see the angels say, no, 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 God honors that. God respects the vow that you have made. And he's not going to ask you to break the vow. In fact, it says right here in verse 35, hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High, he's going to overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born is going to be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, she's going to have a baby too, and she's way past childbearing age. And I can just picture the angel kind of stopping talking. 
And Mary kind of soaking it all in. Okay, what did I just hear? Let that let me kind of get a hold on what I just heard. I can picture the angel going, Mary, what's it gonna be? Heaven's waiting. <laughs> all of future of humanity is waiting. What's your answer? And we get it right here. Man, absolutely, she says, verse 47, uh, 37, uh, I am the Lord's servant, verse 38. I'm the Lord's servant. Uh, whatever he wants, I'm in. I'm going to do it. Let's, let's go. In fact, she says, may your word to me be fulfilled. Now, I love that little phrase. I've got it underlined. I've got it marked. I've got it stored in my Bible so many times. It's about to put a hole in this page. I am the Lord's servant. In your message notes, this is Mary's identity. Her identity is, I am the Lord's servant. If you are a serious follower of Jesus Christ, first of all, if you're not a serious follower of Jesus Christ, and you call this your church, you're, you're not sure if you believe in God, you're not even sure if you know who Christ is, you're welcome here. If you're watching online and you don't even, you're, you're questioning the, the reality of God and you're not even sure about this whole church Jesus thing, you're welcome to come here, you're welcome to hang with us and wrestle and struggle with all your questions and thoughts, you're welcome here. But if you are here and you're a serious follower of Jesus Christ, do you understand your fundamental identity is a servant of the Lord Jesus? When you read the rest of the New Testament, it's written mostly by the Apostle Paul. And you'll notice that every time he writes, when it opens with one of his letters, he says, I, Paul, a servant of the Lord Jesus, then he writes his letter. Two things he says you got to know about me before you read my letter. First is my name. It's easy. My name is Paul. Easy to remember, but that's nearly what's important. Here's what's important. I am a servant, he says, of the Lord Jesus. What he asked me to do, I do. Where he sends me, I go. Whatever price he asked me to pay, I pay it. I am not trying to get God in line with my plan. I'm trying to align my life with his plan because I am his servant. Now, sometimes when I'm praying over you and I'm praying over this, this beautiful place that we come to love called Pathway, um, I find myself wondering as I'm praying, what would it look like and what would happen in us and through us? If when God spoke to you, when God nudged you, when it became clear that God was asking you to do something, that we didn't say something like, God, I don't, no, I don't think that's a good idea. You got to be talking about somebody else. What if we answered like this 14 or 15 year old girl in the scripture who says, I'm in, I'll do it. I am the Lord's servant. You ask me, it's done. How different might things be in all of our lives? How different might your marriages be? How different might your families be? How different might it be where you work and where you play and where you work out? How different might it be? Just between now and Christmas, two weeks, that's all, just two weeks. Let's do a little experiment, two weeks. For two weeks, every time you get a God nudge to go speak to that person, 
Every time you get a God nudge to make that phone call to that family member and invite them to come home for Christmas, to come to the table, and they've not been in years. Every time you get that little nudge to go to that person in the office and check in how you're doing at school to encourage, what if every time you got that, you said, I'm the Lord's servant, I'll do it. How different might the little world be in which you live if we were all faithful? I know there are many of you that already had some names come to mind. We've been asked you, think of names that you're going to invite to come with you on Christmas Eve. When you, when you leave here this morning, you're going to get more of these little invitations. There's going to be someone hand you something like this to take home with you as a, as a reminder to you and as a tool to give to someone. You can find them online as well. And I know some of you have names of people that you think, okay, I could invite them. I should invite them. But you find yourself in this decision-making, am I going to invite? Am I not going to invite? I mean, what if I do and it wonks up our relationship? Because, man, then they're going to know I'm part of a church, and they're going to see me coming. They're going to dread me coming, and it's going to make our relationship all awkward. Eh, I'm not sure. Now, what if you just pushed all that aside and you said, no more wrestling. I am a servant of the Lord. And when he nudges and he brings a name to mind, I'm going to invite and I'm not going to worry about the outcome. I'm going to be responsible for the process of being faithful and leave the rest in God's hands. Church, if all of us were to do that, on Christmas Eve at our five worship times, there would be standing room only. We'd have to use the overflow over in the sanctuary, which we have ready to go. And tens of hundreds of people would have an opportunity to experience the love and the healing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that transforms marriages and changes families. But you and I have to be obedient and faithful to do the inviting. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Whatever he asks, I will do. She was quite an amazing woman, I tell you. I mean, quite an amazing Never underestimate, please, the spiritual depth of the younger generation. She was only 14 or 15. Some of the deepest people we have in this church with Christ are the teenagers of this church. She goes on. She's so filled. And the scripture says, and the second thing in your message notes, number two, is that Mary goes on to write a worship song of praise to God. She takes a little of the Old Testament scripture that she knew and her own experience, and she gets out her journal, and she begins to write. And I know what's happened. I can just picture it. She'd been to Pathway Worship. She went home. She got her life steps. She got up in the morning. She got her journal. And so every morning, she's reading the scripture 10 or 15 minutes like you do, right? You do that every morning, right? 10 or 15 minutes. I know you do. Every morning, 10 or 15 minutes. And so she was in the Torah, knowing the scripture, and so she sits down, and she's got her journal, and all of a sudden, she's just writing. And man, the Old Testament, she knows it, and these words start coming about, and she writes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some to you, okay? It's called the Magnificat. Say Magnificat. Magnificat. Magnific uh, we, we Protestants don't talk about this very much and hear about this very much, but in the Catholic Church, they, have, they, they sing this. They talk about this. Other denominations do too, but here's a little bit from this, beginning to verse 46. And Mary said, uh, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. It's a personal relationship. I have this relationship with God, my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She says, I'm a nobody. 
I'm a nobody. And God has put a call upon my life. He's touched me. And from now on, generations are going to call me blessed. 2,000 years from now, in a little old church called Pathway in Burleson, Texas, at, at 1025 in the morning, a group of people are going to show up, and some are going to be on this technology thing called All On, and they're going to be talking about me and say, I am blessed generation to generation to generation. I can't comprehend that, God, that you're going to use me in that way. For the mighty one, it says, has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Holy, holy, holy. His mercy, verse 50, extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. Before me and before me and before me, there were generations. God's mercy to that generation. God's mercy to this generation. God's mercy to this generation. And now she says, I'm the younger generation. And God's mercy has been given to me so that I can give it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And then she just keeps on writing in this beautiful song. God, he feeds the hungry. He brings down rulers. He, he, he lifts up the humble and she just writes this song. Between now and Christmas, I want to challenge you, if you're not doing this, to carve out 10 or 15 minutes a day. That's all. 10 or 15 minutes of blocks of time just to, just to be in God's Word and to maybe reread the Christmas story over and over again. You'll notice this week on your life steps, that's what you're going to do. You're just going to read some of the truths of this story right here and just let those things kind of sink in. Even if you don't do the questions, just read the scriptures. Let them kind of sit there. Turn on some beautiful Christmas music and just listen, just listen to Christmas music. Just listen. Last week at the end of 1025 worship, Dallas and I worshiped at 1025 last weekend when Chris was teaching. He gave us at the end of the message a time for quiet just to do some business with God. You're going to do, have it again this morning. And I'm sitting right back there in that corner, and I'm just sitting there, and I, I feel God very convict me, say, Rick, Rick, for, from now until Christmas, when you get in your car, no, no sports stuff, no poly, political talk radio stuff. I, I want you to just listen to beautiful Christian music wherever you go, or my word, and put on your phone and plug it through the radio and just kind of the I, and just app and just listen to my word. And so I've been doing that all week long. I started this plan last Monday. And anytime I get in the car, and if I, especially when I'm by myself, I've got the radio on to Christian music, and I'm listening to beautiful where I'm, I'm just asking God to speak to me. Holy Spirit, touch my heart. Get my head lined up so Christmas I can be the man my family needs me to be to help it make it about Christ. And I, I'm just asking you, I'm, I'm just begging you, please, 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 please do that. Your family will thank you. To get your head and heart right before Christmas comes. And I'm like Mary, you know, maybe you'll write a song and sing it for your family. That'd be awful. <laughs> I know how some of you sing, you know. So, okay. So, let's turn over to Luke chapter 2. So, Jesus is born, the baby's born. And Mary and Joseph, I mean, they're, they're good Jewish uh, kids, and so they're going to do everything the law requires. And we're told there in verse 21 that they're supposed to have him circumcised on the eighth day. They do that. Verse 22, they have the purification rites of the law of Moses. They do that because Mary is committed as a mom. 
I'm going to do everything in my power as a mom to make sure my son, been given into my care, is raised in the ways of Jesus, in the ways of the Lord. And so she does that. So much so in verse 39, the writer says, when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord. Now, in the Greek and Hebrew, somebody please tell me, what does everything mean? It means everything. No translation needed. Are you getting this, moms and dads? When they had done everything, everything that they could to raise their children in the ways of God, everything. They returned to Galilee by their own hometown of Nazareth, verse 40, and the child grew, became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. In your notes, Mary was a great mom to Jesus and to his brothers and to his sisters. She was a great mom. This past week, I found myself reflecting on great moms. God, in my life, has allowed me to travel all over the world to many different countries different kinds of churches, see different kinds of families, and even here in the United States of America, a lot of good churches, strong churches. I've seen a lot of families. I know I have a bias, but I backed up and really prayed it through, and I think I can say this with integrity. Some of the greatest moms that I know are pathway moms. I believe that's really true. And the reason I know that, because I, I visit with your kids, one of the greatest things that I enjoy doing after worship is standing out in the crossing and talking to your children, the little ones and the old ones. I just love visiting with your kids. And you don't even have to be around, and I know everything I need to know about you through your kids. Some of you are scared right now, aren't you? And here's what I've learned. As a whole in this church, your kids know that they're loved. It's obvious. They are know they, they're loved by you. They know they're loved by their whole family. They know they're loved by God. I see so many young children coming to faith in Jesus at a very early age. I see teenagers who have wisdom and a commitment to Christ beyond their years. It just inspires me and, and moves me. It really, really does, young people. And I know it is because that somewhere along the way in their life, huge investments of time and energy by great moms, by great women, to make sure their children, their grandchildren are raised in the ways of the Lord. And I know it's not Mother's Day, it's on a warmer month in May, I know. But I just want to stop for a second, and I want to say honor and thanksgiving and recognize all the great moms in this church for all you do, because we know Christmas would not happen without moms. Mary was a great mom. She got it. You turn over to John chapter 2, we learn that parenting doesn't end when your kids are no longer teenagers. 
Jesus and Mary in John chapter 2. They go to a wedding. They've been invited to a wedding along with the disciples. It's a big wedding. It's a huge wedding. And I'm kind of seeing this story through semi-demented, humorous eyes this morning. I don't mind telling you. As I look at this story, I see what's going on. There's a big wedding. And I realize that the weddings back in Jesus' day were not like the weddings today. Like my wife and I, who will be celebrating 40 years in January, uh, this wedding right here, it's like my fat Greek wedding, you know. Uh, I don't know the name of the movie, but it's something like that where it's a raucous party where they just celebrate for days and days and days and nobody goes home and you want them to go home. It was that sort of deal. And in our wedding, I remember our wedding reception. It was in the fellowship hall. It lasted about 45 minutes, uh, cake and punch, and we're out of there, go home, we're done. And But no, back then, I mean, these things were events that lasted on, and to the uh, surprise of all the guests and the disappointment, embarrassment of the host, they ran out of wine. And Jesus' mother shows up, and she goes to Jesus and says, "Uh, hey, Jesus, uh, they're out of wine. Now, I've heard that phrase before, not in that way, and I bet every man in this house who can hear my voice, even at home, you've, you've heard this phrase before by the woman in your life. And so I'm growing up in my house, and my mother's cooking. i got three younger sisters. She goes to the refrigerator. She opens up the refrigerator, and she looks at me, obviously, because there's, we're out, bad out of milk, and I'm the one who drinks all the milk. And she says, oh, we're out of milk. Now, that is code for me or my dad to stop what we're doing and go to the store and get milk right then. She didn't ask us, but that was code for what to do. Men, you know this. You're in your home. You're grilling. You're having a family event. Everybody's coming over. You're outside flipping the burgers, turning the dogs, and your wife sticks her head out the window or the door and says, uh, we're out of ketchup. And you know that is code. Stop what you're doing. Don't let anything burn. You go to the store. You get ketchup back in time. Am I lying? Man, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, that is just code. That's just instructions of what you're supposed to do. So, you know, Dallas and I, during the wintertime, it's not uncommon for us to have a fire in the fireplace and uh, have all the TV off and just a Christmas slice, and we're kind of sitting there kind of reading whatever. And invariably, you know, uh, the fire get kind of low, and uh, she'll say, uh, uh, the fire's getting low. <laughs> That's just code. Get up and cheat the fire. Put another log on. Fix the problem. And men, I'm just telling you, don't blame your wives. It goes all the way back to Mary because she said, oh, they're out of wine. And then, because Jesus, I guess, does it that quickly enough, she turns to these to these servants who are standing by the water jars, and she says, listen, my son is the son of God. You do whatever he tells you to do, okay? He's the boss around here. Do what he says, mom. And Jesus, understanding that if mama's not happy, nobody's happy because it wasn't time yet. He said it's not time yet, <laughs> right? It's not time. He does it. And... Uh, Probably says something like, okay, mom, are we out of bread at home? We take these rocks and make some bread or something too, you know, something like that. Now, why do I say that to you? Why am I sharing that with you this morning? Because I think sometimes you and I miss out on the humanity of Jesus and how he grew up into a family. Sometimes I have people say something to me like this, Pastor, Jesus can't relate to me because he knows not, he doesn't know what it's like to be in my kind of family, in my family. And can I tell you something? The scripture is very clear. For the first 30 years of his life, Jesus was very connected to a family. 
that until he was 30, before he became an itinerant preacher or teacher, he was connected to his dad, his mom, his brother, and his sisters. Well, pastor, he, he, he probably didn't have, you know, his parents getting into his business all the time. A crazy Uncle Eddie. He didn't have any brother-in-laws. Church, I'm telling you, Jesus knew what it was like to be in a family. He knew the grit and the challenges of every day of having to push through. There's nothing you have been through in your life he does not understand or he does not get, even in your family. Turn over to John chapter 19. John, three years, Jesus is 33. He has been arrested. He has been convicted. The scriptures tell us that almost all of his family and friends desert him because to be associated with Jesus while he's on the cross in this whole process of crucifixion and beatings and everything, you might get arrested and you might get beaten too. So they all ran. They deserted him when he needed him the most. There was one whose name was Peter. You read the scriptures, you learn, he just didn't desert him. He denied him publicly. One of Jesus' best friends. He said, do you know him? I don't even know him. I don't know him. Over in Matthew, it says he actually curses heaven. Peter, I'm going to let you know. No, that guy's holy. I'm not holy. He cursed, 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 cursed to distance himself from this guy named Jesus. Now, here's what I know. If you live in an abusive situation, get out. And I know there's some women here who know what it's like to have been in abusive situations. And physical beatings take a toll. Crucifixions, there's nothing romantic about a crucifixion. There's nothing good and fun about it. It's painful. It's gruesome. But as bad as all that is, if you invest three years of your life in 12 people, And when you need them most, they desert you, and they run and they hide like little school kids. That's a kick in the gut. And if someone's your very best friend, denies they even know you publicly, that's betrayal, and you're having a bad day. Time out. I wonder how many here in the house will be honest I'll be in circumstances in your life where you might deny Christ, deny that you know him, not let people know you follow him, you're serious about your faith, that you're a part of a church, you're a part of the life of a mission, you take it seriously. I wonder if there's anyone here that would say, you know, there are certain times that I'm not sure. I recall I was 16 years of age, I gave my life to Christ, had a very powerful salvation experience. Shortly thereafter, I'm at a party, and uh, I meet this drop-dead, gorgeous college girl. I'm 16. I'm a junior in high school. So I'm having this conversation with this girl, and I'm thinking, I'm going to have a date with her before the night is over. That's my goal. I'm just telling you. And so we're having this conversation. I'm asking her about college, asking her about life. She starts telling me about college. Now, the blue she brings up, how she hates those loser guys that go to the Wesley Foundation or the Baptist Student Union, which is the Methodist and the Baptist off-campus opportunity for college students to come and to hang out and have coffee and to study and be with their friends and talk about faith. And I'm thinking, oh, no, because I'm one of those loser guys. 
I'm 16, and I'm teaching college kids at this time over there. And I'm going, oh, no. Did I tell you she was hot? <laughs> and I was, wanting, I was trying to get a date with her. You know, and I'm going, if she knows, well, man, well, if I play that card, I'm done. And so before I could do what to do, she, we get distracted and she goes off somewhere else. And a little bit later on, our paths cross, she comes up to me and says, hey, listen, I hear someone told me you're still in high school. I said, yep. And they said, you actually go to that Wesley Foundation thing and teach deals? I went, yep. And I went, oh. <sighs> she found out from somebody else not from me, and I felt this, oh. Anybody else? Well, sometime you realize you had an opportunity to step up for Christ, to be clear about who you were, and you were a little hesitant, you were a little cautious, you just, and you go, ah. Oh. My wife, I'm very proud of my wife, Dallas, is a part of, owner of a small business, and now she's a national player in the small business association she's a part of and office products trying to fend off Amazon that's kind of taking away all their business and all their work and some of the other big boxes. And she's a part of a nine-person board in America that's having these negotiations and trying to strategize to keep these small businesses alive, to have jobs and income and health insurance for all these folks who have no other opportunities. And so she invites me sometimes to go with her to these conferences where they're having these big meetings. And so sometimes I find myself in these circles with these people of high commerce and business who live in New York and, and D.C. and have all these multi-millions at their disposal, these very cool people. We have lobbyists in Washington, one who had his warehouse to introduce Mitt Romney's uh, presidential run and that sort of thing. So I find myself sometimes just standing around having an idle conversation with these guys and gals that are all bigwigs, important, talking, and they're talking about decisions and money, and I'm thinking I'm cool because I'm there talking with them. Yeah, yeah, I agree. They don't know who I am. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, ask questions, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then some wise guy gets in the circle and realizes maybe not everybody knows everybody and says, hey, let's just take a second. Everybody say who they are and what they do. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, these are high movers and shakers. I mean, making the world commerce change and stuff like that. And they're all talking about the stuff they do. And I'm thinking, I got to step back before they get to me, begin kind of get out of the circle kind of because when they get to me, I'm going to go, uh, uh, I'm a pastor of a little church in Burleson, Texas. Where's that? Oh, you don't need to know. It's in Texas. It's and I'm a Bible teacher, and I follow this carpenter guy that died 2,000 years ago, but I still think he's alive. And I'm always worried that I'm not going to say what I say in such a way that will have impact, and I'm actually going to hurt the cause because I'm not always sure how to say it. Does anybody, does anybody struggle and understand that? That's the same sort of struggle that you want to downplay sometime you're a Christian because you're not sure in this world that you can say in such a way it's going to be accepted well and it's going to be, ah. Uh. So here's what I want to do. I want to challenge you between now and Christmas. Here's my challenge. Anybody who owns a business, this is my challenge for you. Or you lead a team or you're a teacher in a classroom. Here's my challenge that you stand up before your group when you're having your Christmas celebration, you're blessing people, you're having a party, and you say something like this. Hey, listen, Christmas is not just a holiday to me. It's personal uh, because Jesus changed my life. He saved my marriage and, uh, or whatever. And you give about 10 or 15 seconds of testimony, and then you say, 
Listen, I know it's hard to get in to see me. You have appointments and you got to make appointments. But if you need to talk to me about anything in your life that's faith, you just got to knock on the door and walk in anytime because that's the most important thing in my life. I'm just wondering, what would happen? How different would your little world that you live in be if you were ready, students, in school, in college, where you work, in your gym, in your neighborhood, to say, I'm the Lord's servant and I'm proud of it. And find a way to communicate that in the meantime. I think Mary got it right. Because when everybody else ran and hid, look what Mary did in John chapter 19, verse 25. It says, near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. He's on the cross. He's stretched out. They beat him. They flogged him. They stabbed him. They've everybody run. But Mary stands at the foot of the cross, his mother, his mom. When the going got tough, in your notes, Mary had courage when things got tough. She didn't run. She didn't hide. I can picture her by the cross looking up at Jesus saying, Jesus, I love you, son. You can do this, son. Hang in there, son. Don't give up, son. God is with you, son. I'm proud of you, son. I want everybody to know I belong to you, that you belong to me. I'm not going anywhere, son. They can do what they want. I'm sticking by you. Can you imagine what that meant to Jesus to see his mom there when everybody else had run? What do you think it meant to him? And I will tell you, I think it means a lot to Jesus today when he sees your love in public, when he sees your loyalty, when he sees your faithfulness, when you're not ashamed to let people know that you know him, when you're not ashamed to let people know that you love him, that you're proud to be his follower, that you're proud that he changed your life, I think it means everything to him. And I think Mary, Mary just was rock solid. She just did not waver. She did not fade. She was solid. You go on over to Acts chapter 1, the last time we hear about Mary is that Jesus has resurrected. He's about to ascend into heaven. He says, listen, guys, stay in the upper room. Stay in this room. I want you to pray. Stay and pray. Stay and pray. Do not leave until I bring you the Holy Spirit. Don't you go. Some people got impatient. Oh, it's not coming. They left. But it gives a list of the people who stayed. In verse 13, then down in verse 14, it says, Acts chapter 1, they all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, the last time we hear her referred to. 14, 15, listen, I need you to give birth to this kid. I'm the Lord's servant, I'll do it. Almost 47, 48, moving close to 50. I'll stay and I'm not leaving till the Holy Spirit comes because my son, my Lord, told me to stay. That's what I'm going to do. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. Holy Spirit comes. Power unleashed. Churches spread all over the world, including Burleson, Texas. And this morning, you and I are in this room and you're watching online can go all the way back to a woman named Mary who's a teenager said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And church, that challenges me 
that challenges me. And I just think sometimes we just miss out. The Catholic, I think the Catholics sometimes get it right in the respect they have for Mary. I think sometimes we Protestant, we don't stop to really realize just the significance of Mary in the story of faith and the story of Jesus. Here, a few weeks ago, uh, I'm walking into the office, going across the parking lot, and a bunch of little teenage girls in the back of a car are, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, Pastor Rick, and the mom pulls up and stops the car and says, hey, Pastor, uh, we're going to a birthday party. You want to come? I said, I'd rather have a root canal. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they were bouncing all over the place and everything, and we talked for a little while, and they leave. And... uh, and as we're driving off, I'm thinking, huh, who do those, who those young girls have today as role models? Who do those girls have to look up to? And the world puts out all these, all these pencil-thin, airbrushed, sexed-up women that the world says, this is what a woman looks like, right? These heroes, in jail, out of jail, in jail, out of jail, in rehab, out of rehab, in, ha- in and out, in and out, in and out. And that's who they look up to. And then you got these women who are angry at the world and angry at men and just want to do everything they can to prove that they are better than a man and all that sort of stuff, you know, and just kind of do all that sort of thing. And I go, that, that's who our young women are using as role models in their life. And then I think, what would happen? What would happen? If every person in this room who has a kid or a grandkid taught their kid about Mary, and understood the kind of woman she started as a teenager, how different would the world be if this was who young ladies wanted to imitate? Church, I, uh, there are a lot of things about this church that are not perfect. And if you're a guest here, I will tell you there's a lot of places where we're doctrinally wrong. I have people question, oh, what's your doctrine? What's your doctrine? Well, here's our doctrine. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. Period. That's our doctrine. That's it. There's a lot of stuff you can ask questions about, and I'm sure we're wrong somewhere. But you know today what I'm celebrating? I'm celebrating that in this church that we have women elders they have, we have women on staff who make incredible leadership decisions for the good of the whole. We have women who teach. We have women with vision. We have women of faith and women of generosity. This church would not be where it is today without the women of this church. And I'm so thankful that now that I have a granddaughter, I have three sons and a granddaughter that she is not growing up in a church that's going to tell her you can't be a player in the kingdom of God because you're a girl. You can't. You can't be a player in business because you're a girl. You have to do this or you have to do that. You've got to be in this box. I'm so thankful she's a part of a church where she can discover her spiritual gifts, her talent, and God's call upon her life to work in the business world or to stay at home. Either one, whatever God's call is. And in this church, she has wonderful examples of women who have done that and who are doing it well. Today, women, I celebrate and give God thanks for you.
the sake of our kids and future generations. I'm going to pause and give you a couple of moments. I know it's late, but I'm going to give you anyway. Just kind of get still. Just kind of get still for a minute. Do some business with God, whatever business it is. Get your head screwed on straight before you run out for the last, you got two weeks. Did you know you got two weeks? Only two weeks. Get your head on. Get your heart lined up with God. Maybe somebody here, if you're finally ready to say yes to Jesus, you've been hanging around for a long time, and it's just time. The scripture said, Romans 10, 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All you got to do is say, well, why were you are God? God, I know I'm far from you, but I don't want to be. Would your son Jesus forgive me of my sins? I ask him to do that, and I want to be your servant. Just, and that's the beginning of a relationship. Just You can do that right now. But whatever you need to do, just... I'm going to give you a minute. Take it. It's yours. Go. Christmas season, the music, the traditions, the sights, and the sounds. Because sometimes it gets so crazy. Some of us, we needed some help getting our heads screwed back on straight. Because for some of us, it's going to be a hard few days. And we need your help, God. When you say you're faithful, we trust you to do it. God, I pray that those that are far from you will come home that you will use us, God, in the next few days. You'll bring names to mind. You'll give us opportunities. And you'll give us the courage to act, to invite. So those that are far from you can come and experience your healing grace through Jesus. Help us to bring heaven. Help us to bring heaven. Sinner, wake no more. Love is broken silent. Come, let us adore. The Savior is with us. Oh, angels, let your song begin. Here comes heaven. Christ is born in Bethlehem. Here comes heaven. Oh, angels, let your song begin. Here comes heaven. Christ is born in Bethlehem.
to bring heaven 